Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now here's your host. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Usually when we bring guests on, we're bringing on researchers and authors to talk about the work that they're doing. But we also like to highlight individuals with autism and their family. This week, I sat down with LEARN's Senior Director of Talent Acquisition, Jessica Sofast, who shares a very personal story and shares a lot of insight that she's gained from raising her son, who has autism and ADHD, and is now going into middle school. Uh, we talk a lot about going back to school, and I hope you learn some great things from Jessica, who's experienced a lot along the way. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us this week. It's great to have you on our show. Thank you for having me. I got to say, you've been very open about uh, Grayson and his diagnosis, but uh, I want to hear a little bit more about the process of getting a diagnosis for you guys and and a little bit more about how you're getting ready for school. So let's start with just the diagnostic for a minute. That's all right. Yeah, absolutely. So my son was diagnosed just before he turned three years old. Um, and we live in the state of Wisconsin. So in Wisconsin, they do a lot of early identification. And one of those pieces is an evaluation by a program called Zero Birth to Three. And so Birth to Three got us on the right path. And we found out that in Wisconsin, when you're three, you qualify to start receiving some services from the school. So almost right away, we were receiving speech and occupational therapy in the school that has become his home school district. So I still remember when he was three years old and so small, walking through the big doors of the school. And I just remember feeling like I wasn't ready for this yet because he was three. And I just didn't envision that at that time in our in our life, in his life. And so um, I think I started to tackle those fears about sending him off to school from a really young age because he was so young. I think that's a little bit unique. I think there are some districts across the country that offer that, but I, it sounds like Wisconsin has done a really great job of making sure that that relationship is solidified from the beginning. Whereas for some families in other parts of the country, they start with early intervention or you know some other services, and then they have to do that transition when they're five. Yeah. Yeah, it was really great because we were able to kind of do all of the things from all of the different recommendations we were getting. So he was able to maintain 30 to maintain 30 to 40 hours of ABA, see his speech therapist, do his occupational therapy. And so it wasn't all or nothing. He was able to do all of those things at the same time. And I, I really attribute that to the success that he's gone on to have at school because he did get comfortable with people in the building starting when he was three. Um, and then he would leave those services and go home and have his ABA therapy. So he was really getting both of those things um, at three, four, five, and then fully transitioned into school only at six. Wow. And then kindergarten on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And now, and now you mentioned this, he's heading into middle school. He's heading into middle school. And I feel a level of terrified <laughs> that I have not felt yet. So you'd think, I mean, I didn't think when he was going in to 4K, because when he was there as a three-year-old, he was just one-on-one -on -one with a service provider. So it was just sure. him in his little backpack sitting in with his speech therapist one-on-one. -on -one. And so 4K was scary because that was the first time that he was going to be in a class. And I felt like 
I was giving this precious gift of mine to the world and sharing him. And I was really scared about how he would be received and how, you know, his socialization and his behavior. So I had a lot of fear going into 4K. And I can tell you that it is nothing <laughs> compared to the way I feel if he's heading into middle school. It just, it changes so much. The stakes are so much higher. You know, kids get older, the things they say, um, I think there's a fear just around the unknown at any age that your kid is going off to school. Middle school just feels bigger. It's it. I can't put exact words to it. It just it feels like it's momentous. It's nerve wracking. My husband and I both share the feelings of just brace for impact. We hope it goes well. <laughs> I you know I, I feel like the there are some major transitions when it comes to school. Right there's the transition from home to school, which is a big one, right? That's a that's a major transition. And then there's another transition from elementary to middle school. And then I feel like the transition from middle to high school is a little bit smaller because at that point, they're kind of used to having different, you know, teachers and a locker and those types of things. Um, I want to get into how you helped him get ready. But first, I want to hear about how you get yourself ready. Because this yeah. is the challenge, right? As a parent, excuse me, how are you getting yourself ready for this Fear. You mentioned like all these emotions are all bigger. How, what did you do to get yourself ready for it? Well, I think one thing that families who maybe aren't dealing with an IEP or have a child with special needs might not understand is you really never stop preparing. It's just perpetual communication and planning with the school and with the other resources in our lives. So Grace's annual IEP meeting usually happens in February in the spring. Um, and at that meeting, we're already talking about the next school year. So it's February of his fifth grade year, and we're sitting there dealing with all of the fifth grade things because, you know, they've gotten older. And in fifth grade, there's all sorts of new emotions and feelings and relationships developing. So we're dealing with that. But then we're also talking about the next year. So we meet his homeroom teacher several months before the, the school year even begins. And we start to talk about what are going to be the ways that he will excel in the new environment and what are going to be challenges for him. And so that list really started to be assembled in February. And now here we are six months later, and we're starting to actualize some of those concepts and, and make plans for how he's going to be successful with that transition. Right. I think that's so important to start early piece. I mean, yeah. The, the transitions are not easy. And for some of our, for some of our young ones, they're easier than others, right? Mm -hmm. For my daughter was really easy when she was going from home to kindergarten. I was like, great. All right, here I go. I'm up. And before we could even say goodbye, she was walking in the gate. And for others in my family, we've had to like take the time and talk about it months in advance. So uh, let's dive into that process a little bit, if that's okay. Right. You, you mentioned starting early, which is really important. Um, what are some of the things you do to help prepare Grayson uh, for any school year? Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest thing is just establishing the chains of communication between ourselves and the people at the school who are going to be on his team. I, I think there's such value in sharing experiences and sharing things that are going well and things that are our struggles. So we always talk about um, like what language are you using at home that we could also implement at school? So consistency between the two environments is really a huge, a huge help if we're all on the same page and and speaking to him in the same way. 
So establishing that communication. And then I think establishing mutual shared expectations. So I think it's really important as Grayson's gotten older, particularly that he knows that there's expectations of him at home, there's expectations of him at school, and we're talking, we're communicating. So if something happens at home, I'm going to be calling the school and letting them know what's going on and vice versa. He always has this kind of shell shock look when he comes home and I question him about something that's happened in the day. Like, how do you know? Like, I've got a camera on him. And I always remind him, I'm like, Grayson, mom is everywhere. I'm always watching and the school tells me what's going on. So I think just that trust and that relationship that you build with the school is it's really central to feeling comfortable with the things that you're going to navigate throughout the year. And what is that? I mean, I can imagine in elementary school, when I was teaching elementary school, there was a lot of journals that kind of went back and forth and notes to parents. They would send a note. I'd send a response, those types of things. What does that look like in middle school? What, what, are, the, what are those communication methods? I think that's the part that has me so nervous because we've had kind of a system that's worked for so many years. And now we're transitioning into a little bit of an unknown in that all of his staff actually changes this year. His special ed coordinator changes, his um, like teaching staff all changes. He's actually in the same building. We live in a really small town. So he's just rounding the lunchroom and he's going to be on the other half of the building this year. So that part is a little bit familiar, but all of the staff are going to be new. And he really, um, he really makes close relationships with adults. That's always been something that, that he really kind of just hones in on his adults in any environment. And he he loves to nurture that relationship. So, um, you know, I can tell you what we've done in the past that's been successful. And that's really just been constant communication and identifying what those path lines of ex- escalation are going to be when things happen. So like if there's an incident with a peer or if he, you know, isn't feeling well or has some kind of accident, gets hurt at recess, like what is our communication plan to help manage Grayson's feelings, his expectations, any anxiety he might be feeling. So we had different different courses of communication depending on what was going on. And I was regularly on the phone, getting emails, using the online school messaging system to communicate back and forth. Um, and I always believed in the power of, of copying everyone in on an email that needed it. So if there was a change in something we were doing at home. I just sent that information out to everyone because it was good to have. And so they reciprocated that. If something happened in any environment, they let all of the people that were interacting with Grayson at the school know about that change so that they could also be on the watch for it. I say I'm nervous about the sixth grade transition, but I'll tell you what's already happened and I feel great about it. I was actually traveling for work last week and my cell phone rang and it was Gray's special ed coordinator that he'll have for the upcoming year calling from her cell phone in the middle of the summer when she's off enjoying her break. And we sat and we had a 30 minute conversation about how his summer's going, what he's into. Um, and we set his IEP meeting that we'll have here in a couple of weeks. I think that's another thing that's really important is that I hope parents understand that you don't just get the one IEP meeting a year. You can request those as frequently as you want. So because his is in February for the annual, it's a really great idea to have another one towards the beginning of the year so that you can make sure that things haven't 
changed significantly since the last time that you guys all met. So we scheduled that and it was really nice just to get to know her. And she shared something with me that I think solidified for me that we're going to be okay in our communication this year. She heard something I said in February, the IEP about Grayson struggling with his fine finger manipulation. That's something he's always struggled with. And so I'm having mom anxiety about locker combinations. And she actually worked with the custodian for the school and they got him a locker combination that is a word instead of a number combination. Wow. So he'll have his own locker combination that will be a word that only he'll know. And I just, I thought that was such a cool thing that they didn't have to do, but they picked up on something I was saying and they went the extra mile to do something that's just going to make his transition into that environment so much better. Yeah. And I think, I mean, kudos to you for, for recognizing that early. I think it, a lot of what you're saying is communicate these things early because if you're going into middle school or you're transitioning into high school or you're transitioning into kindergarten, really, or preschool, right? The the teacher on the other end isn't going to know your son or daughter, your child as well as you do. And so finding those things and trying to think about all the what ifs, you're not going to think of all of them, but recognizing it ahead of time before he ends up struggling with a locker, right? You were able to communicate that and be proactive and say, is there anything else we can do? You didn't even ask. I mean, kudos to them, really. Yeah, absolutely. No, I was so impressed. And we have the other experience, which I think is where that drive for that communication comes from. So he had a, he had a rocky 4k year. Um, you know, four was a hard age for us with sleep regression. And there was just a lot that went on that year that made it a really hard year. And so it wasn't an amazing first year for him in school. And I felt really nervous moving into kindergarten, just hoping that we'd kind of gotten some of that out of our system and he was going to have a great year. And I remember, um, we didn't find out who his kindergarten teacher was going to be until much closer to the beginning of the year, I think maybe a week or two before. And I went in for that preschool year IEP meeting and I could tell the teacher who was going to have him was just, she was stunned. She was finding out in that moment that she was going to have him in her class. And she felt like, she shared this with me, she felt like she would have prepared differently over the summer had she known that she was going to have Grayson in her class. She would have structured her day a little different. She would have thought about pods and seating a little different. And I think in the moment, I my feelings might have been hurt a little that having him in her class would change so many things for her. And then the more I thought about it, I realized that's not different than we do at home. You know, we we have to change and adapt our plan to account for Grayson and, and some of his his behaviors. And so it made a lot of sense to me and I could see that frustration and she immediately hopped into action and got some things switched around to make that a, a more positive environment for him. But I learned from that, that I had to make sure that I was requesting every year that I knew who his teacher was and and that we made some recommendations about who might be good or, or not great classmates yep. for him to be paired with just based on past experiences. And I, so I think you learn as you go the rights you have as a parent to advocate for your child. And I, I guess I always say like, more is more. Just, you know, tell them everything that's on your list. And even if they can only make half of it, you know, come come to life, at least you've gotten those things because you've asked for them. If you don't ask, you'll never know. And, and so I approach now with kind of, here's my list and I hope that we can make yeah. the things happen. And, and if we are great and if not, then we'll pivot and work around it. But I, I definitely always ask for the things that will help him. Right. I think that's so great. Communicate with the IEP, 
team, advocate early, make sure you have those relationships in place before there's a need. That's, I think that's good advice for all of us anyway, right? I think that's yeah. good things for us to be doing, whether we're preparing for school or not. Um, I have a question for you about summer and summer break. We're kind of getting into the end of summer break. A lot of families are, you know, going back to school coming up in the next little bit. What are some things that you're doing at home to get ready for school in the next couple of weeks, however long that is for everybody? Yeah, well, I think summer for us, I think summer for a lot of families has been really different since COVID um, because I work remotely and, you know, the kids are here with childcare all summer long. And so we spend an awful lot of time together in the summer in the same space. And so there is a little bit, I think, on everyone's end, like an excitement about returning to school because it's just different. It's it's get, it's getting out of the house. It's talking to different people, having different experiences. So I do sense in both of my kids more excitement to return back to school than I did when they were younger. Um, they miss those relationships and the people they were seeing every day maybe aren't the same as the people they're seeing in, in your home neighborhood all the time. So that social drive and excitement is something that as they get older, I see a little bit more of the excitement to return to that. As far as just keeping him focused and on a schedule, the biggest favor that we can do ourselves is try not to get too relaxed in the summer. And that sounds like terrible advice to enjoying a summer is to not be relaxed. But honestly, he doesn't thrive without structure and a schedule. That's that's not his ideal state. And so he really thrives when he knows what to expect. And um, when he can make a plan for for what's coming up in his schedule and what's he doing today or tomorrow. So one of the things that we do, we try to continue to keep a schedule and to review that schedule with him. So he's into baseball and golf. He's got his other activities he likes to do. So we have a, a summer schedule. I review with him. So this week you have golf camp and you have baseball practice on these nights. So just talking to him about his schedule and setting the expectation that we're not just spending the summer on technology. We're going right. to talk to some people. We're going to do some we're gonna... outdoor activities. <laughs> yeah. So that's important. I think, you know, Grayson would love nothing more than turn the lights off and go in his room and play video games until September. He would love that. It would be terrible for him, but he would love that. And so it's, you know, I, my husband and I have to work really hard to fill his schedule with things that will be preferred tasks that he'll be excited to do that get him out of that constant pull of technology. Um, and a big piece of that, golf, at least in Wisconsin, is something you want to do early before it gets too hot and humid. And so we keep him at least on some days getting up early because that is really a challenging part about returning to school as the sleep schedule changes. Yep. You know, he wakes up at his normal school wake up time a couple days a week for some of his activities. And I think that's a great way to just keep him, keep him in that. I would love to say that we have a really rigorous like reading and math worksheet schedule. I think every parent goes into the summer with those really amazing aspirations. But at the end of the day, like they just don't want to do the, the same type of task they do at school during the summer. So we have to be creative in it. And maybe that looks like, um, my kids have found this game that they absolutely love. It's called Kids Against Maturity. And it's this card game that we play together. And so they're reading the cards and like making selections for reading things that way instead of reading a chapter book. And and I'm fine with that. They're they're reading. Reading is reading. And they're also, um, as they're 
getting older, they're communicating with their friends, like writing to them and reading their responses. And so I think there's more natural reading and just those types of school behaviors in their summer schedule now. So we've never held a very structured schoolwork program in the summer. And that works for him. He transitions right back into that because he knows that the expectations in that environment are that he does his schoolwork. Yeah. And I think there are two things you mentioned that I think are really important. And really it's the phasing into being ready for school, both from a sleep type wake up schedule, right? Go to bed at the right time, wake up at the right time, but also from a work perspective. So, you know, for families, I think one thing that's, that I've seen that's been really helpful is a couple of weeks before school. And I do this with my kids too. A couple of weeks before school, we start to get up at the, the right time so that that first Monday where it's not like, oh man, we're used to getting up at 10 o'clock and now we have to get up at six o'clock, right? I don't want that swing. I feel like when we do that to our kids, they're like in jet lag mode and I don't function well when I'm jet lagged, right? And so if we're expecting them to do it when they haven't had enough sleep. It's just not helpful. And it's the same with work, right? You don't have to do, you don't have to do three hours of work every day, but have them sit and read for a few minutes, you know, 15, 20 minutes, maybe even just to build up some uh, preparedness for when school starts. So that otherwise that Monday is a little bit like drinking from a fire hose. It's, it's shock and it's hard. Yeah. And I think the other thing that, that makes it easier as they get older is that like Grayson has content that he truly loves to absorb. So he loves baseball. He wants to know everything about baseball. And so if you put a a book about baseball in front of him, I'm not asking him to read. He's just choosing to read. And so that's the exciting part when those things that you that you worry about as a parent when they're younger just start to happen naturally because of their own interests and and they do some of that like self-guided um work to get themselves refocused and back on a plan. Grayson is also one of the only children I've ever met who puts himself to bed and asks to go to bed. I think he just he lives so hard every day. I mean, he play he swings with his baseball bat so many times in a day that I think by the end of the day he's just exhausted. But he asks to go to bed. He always wants to know what time he has to be up in the morning. So he's pretty good about knowing what works for him, knowing that he needs to get to sleep, knowing that he's an early riser and he wants to have a plan. So I think that's the thing you don't expect when your kids are younger. You kind of think, I'm always going to tie their shoes and and like pack their lunch and do everything for them. And when they start to do some of those things on their own, you can you can exhale a little bit and say okay, I don't have to do all of this. He's starting to learn how to do some of this on his own and he, and he knows what he needs. You mentioned, you mentioned um, an Etsy reading list. I just want to, can you just share a little bit of some resources you found? Again, thinking about some families who are getting ready to go back to school. Maybe they don't have a list ready or they're not quite sure how to get started. What are some resources that you've found that can help people get ready for, again, kindergarten, first grade, elementary school, high school, middle school, any age, really? What are Where are some resources? Where, are they, where can they find that? So I will start by saying that I was an ABA mom who regularly earned gold stars because I loved hearing about something and then going out and finding it. So my team would always say like, oh, we're going to make this at the office. And then the next morning, I'd like send them a picture and I'd already made it, laminated it and had it ready to go. So 
I loved learning from our ABA team about the types of resources that were available and the things that he really responded to. So it started when he was younger. We did a lot of visual schedules to help him just anticipate the different parts of his day. Um, and those, you know, it's funny how those things morph, but like things that are still on that list are brushing your teeth. You'd think that that would get easier with an almost middle schooler, but we're still reminding him every morning to brush his teeth. And this this spring we got braces. So now we're taking care of braces. And so it's just those visual reminders. Um, he has a toothbrush that has a timer on it, tells him how long he needs to do that. Those are things that are carryover from ADA that just still really help him. Timers and visual schedules have always been a really great way to help him. Um, and when it becomes more important for them to be making decisions on their own from options, we still use a timer for that. Like if he's mulling over a decision and I can tell he's feeling an anxiety about making a choice, I'll say, hey, it's not a big deal. Mom's going to set a timer for five minutes. Why don't you think about it? And then when the timer's done, let's come back together and make a decision. And that just helps take some of the pressure of I need to decide right now in this minute while you're watching me and you can go and think about it and come back. So timers have always been really great for us. Um, and then anything like um, like a log or a tracker, I used to make these, um, like if we were going to a water park, I'd make this little slide graphic and we'd make a, a laminated Grayson with Velcro and he'd move down the slide for good behaviors as he was working towards earning things. Those visuals for him have always really helped. And if we ever get to a point where we're dealing with a behavior and we just can't get on the other side of it, if we go back old school to like a visual or a tracker or something like that, we know that he's going to find success in that because it's familiar to him. Yeah. So that those are just things that have always, always really worked with him. And he's a big um, first then. So first we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. So I think it's, I think the biggest tool is the language and, and recycling language that he knows. We talk a lot, even as, almost a sixth grader about little deals and big deals also that those things change as kids get older what wasn't a big deal to him when he was five might feel like a big deal to him as he's heading into sixth grade so it's just interesting to recycle concepts and tools and resources and see how we all use them a little differently as he gets older yeah yeah i mean that i'm thinking about the visual aspect of it and i'm wondering if you've ever had to get pictures of the classroom that he was going into before the school year started, or if you had to ever go to the school ahead of time when he was getting ready to go to school, because that visual has helped some of the students I've worked with in the past, but I don't know if that's worked at all for Grayson. Yeah, I would say going into fourth, fifth, and first, we always got pictures of the people who he's going to be interacting with, and we made him like a picture board to help him get ready for the year to familiarize him with basic. We also had the added benefit that school is literally our backyard. And so I would walk him over there a couple of times during the summer and he could walk around and see what was going to be his new classroom and meet some people ahead of the supply drop off. He would just go in there when it was just him. He could ask questions. Um, and we actually did that at the middle school at the end of last year, not in a formal IEP meeting. I just requested to go in and sit down with some of the faces he'd be interacting with and just give him an opportunity to to ask his questions. And it's so funny because I definitely went in with a list of questions and he sat down and he was so nervous, like he was in the principal's office. And I was like, buddy, this is your meeting. Like, this is a chance for you to ask anything you want to ask. What do you want to ask? And he goes, 
And I can get a lot of detentions. <laughs> oh, poor guy. But he was like, oh, great. Of course you're worried about sixth grade. Like you come in, your first question is about detentions. But, you know, you just don't know what kids talk about. And so his impression of what sixth grade is going to be is only what he's heard. And so those are the things that he heard and he locked on to. So he was really worried about that. And then another thing that we had to solve for was he um, he doesn't love the lunchroom. It's really loud. And mm-hmm. so when he was younger, we have always sent headphones with him to school for like tornado sirens, lockdown drills, any loud um, announcements or pep rallies that they would do. And starting in about fourth grade, he became really sensitive to wearing his headphones at school because there's this acknowledgement that you look different. You're doing something different than the other kids in your class. And he started to feel like he didn't want to be different. And so he started to choose not to have lunch in the lunchroom because it was so loud. So he goes and sits in a conference room and he's allowed to bring like one or two friends with him. And it's just it's a smaller environment. We wrote that into his IEP because it's a simple correction that just removes yeah. anxiety. And he just has a better day when he doesn't spend an hour in the lunchroom. So it's those little kind of things where you just you just have to listen and be willing to make an accommodation. And I'm thankful that our school does that because it would really put a lot more stress on him to not be able to have those accommodations. Yeah, I mean, good for him for advocating for what he needed too, right? Like that's also part of that growing up is being able to, instead of mom having to ask on your behalf, him being able to say it in his way. Um, Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I'm thinking of is, you know, we've talked a little bit about kind of getting ready for school and going back to school and some things that families can do. I want to ask um, a little bit of what your kind of your expectations of the first month of school. I feel like that's a time where everyone's getting their schedules set, their teachers are getting set, they're finding the bathrooms, especially if they're going to a new school or have new teachers, things like that. Like, what are some things you can do at home to help so that, you know, students are feeling they can relax a little bit and maybe express how they're feeling? Well, I think the most important thing is to talk about those expectations and then also where once you're in it, where the where you're maybe falling short of expectation. So you know, we can plan and talk about that first month of school until we're blue in the face at home. And then when you fill that school with kids and yeah. bells and teachers and classroom activity and all the like hustle that happens around the school, it's really easy for a plan to go out the window. So I think it's important to revisit the plan. And I really have a philosophy when it comes to IEP meetings, like there is just not a limit. I mean, I will pull that group together so quick if anything goes sideways because, you know, he is the priority advocating for him and making sure that he is in the best learning environment possible. That is all, we all have that shared job and responsibility. And so if we have to meet once a week or once a month or whatever that looks like during that initial period of getting him comfortable, that's what we'll do. Um, One thing that I've learned is to not make big changes to services in the first month. And the reason I say that is because everybody transitions differently. And for Grayson, when things are new and unknown to him, we actually tend to get our best behaviors because he's figuring it out. He's learning the rules. He's understanding the hierarchy, okay, who makes decisions, and if I want something different, who do I go to for that? 
So he's like, he is, he's like a master builder. He's seeing it all come together and he's getting the lay of the land. And in that first month, he usually has very minimal behaviors. That's a, usually a month where things are going really well. And then he gets it figured out. And then, you know, who knows what's going to happen next. But that first 30 days, if if it's going really well, I really don't suggest going in and saying, let's pull back on supervision hours because it's going great. Absolutely. I, I think if it's going great, just keep doing what you're doing. And, and you can always evaluate to make a change down the road. But if you make a change too quick in either direction, more supervision or less supervision, you don't really give the plan a chance to be successful because you're changing it before it's really even gotten started. Yeah, I love I love that. I mean, I think the first month is such a tough time. What, like when I was teaching, the first month was a lot, um, a lower level of rigor in terms of academics, right? Like, you know, I just, I we were trying to set the routines. We we're trying to set the schedules. We had new students. We had students leaving, you know, all sorts of different things. And I try to do that for my kids now too, because the first month is just hard. Like we're not doing a ton of extracurricular activities, right? We're trying to get them to bed a little bit earlier during those times so that they're rested, they're reacclimating and getting their endurance back, so to speak. But it's interesting that you're just saying, you know, in some ways for Grayson, it's different. Like for him, he's like best behavior. My kids are like falling apart, but it's just so unique. But everyone is different and we... I would say in general, transitions are not his sweet spot, but transitions when things are new to him are definitely a time when he pulls back a little bit and he's more reserved. Now by Christmas break, when that transition happens, him and his teachers will all be pulling their hair out because that's, we're, we're so comfortable. And now transitioning, that's like a totally different set of circumstances. But I think, I think circumstance is exactly the right way to kind of, qualify that is it depends on the kind of kid you have the support of the environment they're in how they navigate transition you know how they respond in new environments so like for us um we just finished baseball and you know the way parents think it's the last day of baseball and everybody's like okay who's signing up for flag football and who's doing soccer and you know i had is like spinning as we're still at the ice cream shop celebrating the, the silver medal baseball finish and I looked at my husband and I was like, oh, I don't think we can do a fall sport. I think I think the only thing I do in September needs to be getting him into middle school. And I think that's what works for our family. And it might be different for a, another family. But for us, I know he's going to come home and he's going to be really tired. He's going to a school that does some block scheduling. So he's going to have some really long academic time. And I want to give him the ability to come home and go to bed at six o'clock if that's what he wants to do. I don't want to overschedule him. And then we'll figure it out. And by the time basketball season rolls on, he'll be he'll be ready to jump right in. But I think just not stacking so much, even on our weekends in the first month of the school year is important because he does need that time to rest. You know, for kids, it going to school is like a full work day. Yeah. And there are a lot of expectations and behaviors and there's rules that might be different than the rules at home. And so they're managing all of these different pieces in in this environment that may or may not be very different structurally than their environment at home. And they come home and I think they are physically and emotionally and mentally exhausted from that. And then you add a diagnosis. My son has both autism and ADHD and you add those on top of all of that. 
And there are days when he comes home and I think he's going to call him bed at 3.30 and just, I uh, will see him in the morning. Yep. Yep. Understandably too. I mean, it's a whole, it's a lot to, to juggle, right? I always, I always use the analogy of like a metaphorical backpack, right? Like what are you carrying in your backpack, right? It's all sorts of stuff. It's, you know, excitement, it's stress, it's new friends, it's new school, it's lunchrooms, it's finding the bath, it's all those things. And then to come home and have been carrying around this big backpack. And he also has a big backpack because now he has multiple books and all these other things, right? So to carry all that day and then come home, it's like, you know, I I always encourage parents, like make home a safe place. Like if they want to fall apart and cry on the couch, fine. Like that's okay. We're going to, there's going to be time for that. They want to go to bed at 3.30, take a nap. Absolutely. Get it. Well, and ironically, you use the the backpack analogy. I would say one of his bigger stressors is that in middle school now, you're not allowed to have backpacks. So now you have to manage, do I have the right things from my locker for the right class that I'm going to next? And he's, I'm like, I, as the person who cleans his room, I walk in and I'm like, he is never showing up to science with the science notebook. Like it's not happening. Like do I need to write that into the IEP? Cause it's not happening. And James, my husband, James just laughs at me and he's like, he's going to figure it out. If he gets to class with the wrong stuff, he's going to figure it out. So I think that's another anxiety though, that goes with middle school is you go from your locker kind of being where you put your, your coat and your lunch to now you're passing by that and needing to get stuff out and move on to the next class. So the rules of engagement and that social element that happens in the hallway, I think changes a lot in sixth grade. And I don't know how to set his expectations for that because it feels like it was 1 million years ago that I did. And I think it's probably very different. So I think we'll navigate a lot of that in the first month. Just what's that like? How's it going? What assistance do you need? Um, Because we don't know yet. Right. And that's still learning, right? That's still taxing for our kiddos, right? That still takes focus and energy and all those things. Um, Jessica, what's, we've talked a little bit about getting ready to go back to school, a little bit about the first month. Um, what's, what's some advice you'd give parents so that they make sure they take care of themselves in this process? Because we talked a lot about how parents can take care of their children. What's some advice you'd give for parents to take care of themselves over the next couple months as they're going back to school? I think for parents in general, I just say to always give yourself a little bit of grace, especially when your kids are making big transitions, because you just don't understand the impact that's going to have on your kids and then on you because you love them and, and they're your children and you're like put on this earth with the purpose of nurturing them and taking care of them. And then we send them off into these buildings where we don't have eyes and we don't have ears and we're trusting the people in that building to keep them safe and have their best interests in mind. And it's really hard to do that, not to have direct control over what's happening there. So I think give yourself grace. And I I always just say like, trust your intuitions. If you feel like you're not getting the whole story, you're probably not. If you feel like your child can't adequately communicate to you what's going on and what's happening, then you need to find an adult in the building who's going to have a better sense of what's going on and get the information that you need so you're not feeling like you're missing information and, and operating with half of it. I think I think that's a fear that any parent has. I think that's a, par- a fear that parents of boys have as they get older because they just, you know, he walks in and he's like, I'm fine. He doesn't want to say anything else to me. 
And I'll ask my girlfriend who has daughters and she's like, oh no, this and this, all these things are happening. And I'm like, yeah, I got, I got none of that. So just asking people who might have the information that will help you feel at ease is something that you can do. And I just don't think you can place enough value on the importance of just checking in with your kids and asking them how they're doing and asking them how they're feeling um, and not pushing your own feelings on them is really hard to do. I had, um, I, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but this feels like a really good time with Janet. I had a mind blowing therapy session when Grayson was in the hardest part of, of his diagnosis around four when he wasn't sleeping and I wasn't sleeping. And I was starting to feel like experiences for me were just not going to be what I expected them. And I, I felt like Grayson wasn't enjoying life the way I thought that he would. And I was speaking with the therapist and they said, so give me an example of what happened while well, we went to the zoo and it was terrible. He, you know, wanted to ride the train and he couldn't get on the train and we ended up leaving and he didn't like it and he didn't have any fun. And he said, oh gosh, he didn't have any fun. So he didn't like the zoo. He, he didn't enjoy his experience at the zoo. I was like, well, no, I mean, yeah, he would, he loved it. He thought the monkeys were great and he was smiling and he thought it was amazing. And the therapist said, well, interesting. So is it possible that Grayson doesn't enjoy the zoo the same way you would enjoy the zoo, but that he still had a great experience and he doesn't know any better? And I had to stop and think about that. And I, I had to stop pushing my expectations for his life on him. And I have to just start living the life, the, you know, the journey that we're on with Grayson and his diagnosis is that things are going to look different than I thought they would look when I dreamed of being a mom. And that doesn't mean that they're worse or that they're better. They're just different. And I think accepting that experiences that you saw so clearly in your head are going to end up looking different and that's okay. And you can embrace that and live inside of, of what is actually happening. I don't think parents do that enough. I think we end up being really hard on ourselves for not creating this epic experience. Yep. And that's not us. Our kids don't feel like that. Our kids are having the time of their lives. They're smiling. They're feeling joy. We have to stop pushing those expectations and those fears that we have onto our kids because it's not doing them any favors. Jessica, thank you so much for sharing that story and for your time today and all your insight. I think that was Great. I learned a lot. I took a bunch of notes, but I just appreciate you and your insight and good luck with the transition into middle school this year. Thank you so much. The countdown is on. We'll know in a few weeks. <laughs> I hope you learned a lot from that conversation with Jessica and how she's getting Grayson ready for school this year. I always appreciate uh, being able to hear the parent perspective. I think sometimes as a clinician, I get stuck in I got to do this next and what's my next goal and we crossed this one off or where are we going to go from here but hearing her share her story kind of helps me uh, think about what goes on behind the scenes what goes on when we're not there right the logistics of going back to school is not just figuring out the bus schedule or who's going to drop off and pick up every day I think I text my wife that all the time but it's also how's my child going to get their books to class do they have the right materials to access do they have the right backpack or the right set up so that it can get all their needs met i just appreciate that jessica is taking the time to think about this from all the different perspectives i think one of the questions that we should always be asking ourselves is what can i think about for my child and following that up 
what challenges am I facing now that can help me for next year? And I think if we pause and think about those two questions, it'll help us learn from what we're doing now that's working, but also be able to prevent challenges that could come up in the future. You can always find us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Therapies. And if you have a show suggestion or other feedback, please send us a message on our website at allautismtalk.com. And you can subscribe and rate us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. Good luck going back to school. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. 